So as we approach the end of uh, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, we might be tempted to think uh, we are coming to the end of the road. Uh, There's even a thing, as our culture uses that word, a a thing called the Roman's Road. Uh, Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Certainly the book of Romans sets us on, uh, on a kind of journey Uh, Part of it is the length of Romans. Um, When you you head out to the grocery store, you you don't call it a journey, I would guess not. Um, But when you head out on a trip costing you perhaps several days of travel, it becomes, in your mind, more of a journey. Of course, in our day, uh, you can can fly a great distance in a relative short amount of time, so that maybe uh, the word journey is due to lose its meaning altogether. Uh, does anyone really ever go on a journey anymore? Uh, but as far as the, um, as far as the uh, content endures, the, the book of Romans is a, a journey such that there um, has been this reference again to the Romans road. Well, we have uh, often reviewed the, the overall structure of, of Romans, so I, um, I don't know that we need to do that again. Oh, well, I'll go ahead and do it anyhow. <laughs> that, that the book of Romans gives us that well-known uh, outline of sin, salvation, and service. Uh, it's an outline, even a, a theological uh, structure, Uh, that will help us read not only the book of Romans, but even all of Scripture. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker that uh, says, Think World Peace? Uh, Or another bumper sticker message is, Start Seeing Motorcycles. Well, both of those messages is is based upon the idea that that it's important what you think. And, uh, and what you're thinking about, even before you begin to act, it's, uh, it's important to think. Uh, I'm still waiting for the bumper sticker that says, quit reading bumper stickers and pay attention to your driving. Uh, of course, that's too long to fit on a, on a bumper sticker. And uh, even if it did, it probably wouldn't sell too many bumper stickers. But the idea here is that it does matter what you think. That's why the Apostle Paul begins this this third section of his letter to the church at Rome by writing, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There are two words in this one verse, and it's... uh, Again, Romans 12, verse 1, there are two words in this uh, one verse uh, that that refer to what we think. Uh, First is the word appeal. This is legal language, uh, which we can all appreciate and understand. Uh, We have all heard of uh, the court of appeals. Um, uh, and, And we know that whatever the decision of judge or jury, the case can be appealed which is the petition to have the facts rethought or thought out again uh, in hopes of a different conclusion, a a different verdict. 
Well, the other thinking word is actually the word spiritual. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Contrary to the modern definition and use of the word spiritual, which for us in our culture often means thoughtlessness and uh, mindlessness and regardless of reason, well, here Paul means just the opposite. To be spiritual is to be reasonable. So let's review again that the Christian life, which is really the, the matter of even offering your whole body to God as a living sacrifice. The Christian life lived sacrificially just makes sense, teaches Paul. It's the reasonable thing to do for a believer in Christ to take up his cross or her cross and to follow Christ. Because no matter what you give, you will have lost nothing of what is yours in Christ. And no matter what you gain, you will have gained nothing greater or further or more than what is yours in Christ simply by your faith in Christ. Is that reasonable? Does that make sense to us? Only if we come to the cross of Christ in recognition that what Christ endured there, he endured for us. And as he has endured hell for us, we are free. As Romans 8 verse 1 says so gloriously, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so be reasonable, says Paul, writes Paul. That's the, that's the basis of his instruction at the, at the end of Romans. Do these things because it just makes sense. Did you, did you really hear what I just taught, writes Paul, in, in essence? Uh, if not, go back and read it again. He is not going to write it down again, but we can go back and, and read it again. And, and hopefully by the ministry of the Spirit we will come to see that the Christian life, as instructed by God's word, is the reasonable life. It just makes sense. It, it, it reminds me of Isaiah 1, verse 18. <clears throat> it's a verse that um, I heard uh, quite often as, as a child growing up in my home church, um, often as the assurance of pardon. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, uh, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Again, often heard that verse as the uh, assurance of pardon. The, the law of God was read, usually the Ten Commandments, each Sunday, and followed by that assurance of pardon. Come now, come now, let us reason together says the Lord. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the good news, that, that if we are given to understand it, we will live reasonably under the Lordship of Jesus our Savior. And if we do so, we will do so within the communion of the saints. 
That's the, the first point this morning as we continue to hear the greetings that Paul gives at the end of his letter. Last time we, we drew three lessons from Paul's closing greetings. Number one, the significance of service. Number two, the acknowledgement of sacrifice. Number three, the recognition of conversion. And that uh, left us to consider two additional lessons. First, the communion of the saints. It's an expression that uh, might remind us, right, of the Apostles' Creed, uh, by which we confess, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the communion of the saints. Once again, it's a lesson and, and emphasis in Scripture leading us to confess that that uh, uh, le- leading us to confess what we believe regarding the church the the church the church the church uh, it's been the clear teaching of Paul in these closing chapters maybe he doesn't say you belong in church if you are a believer in Christ then you must be in fellowship with other believers but the fact that he that he doesn't say that in a way makes it even more forceful it's it's so clear it's so obvious that it doesn't need to be stated in that way as we read our our bibles hearing it and receiving it as God's own word this can help us to see that certain things don't need to be taught. Um, we take this approach when it comes to the, the sacrament of baptism, specifically covenant baptism. Uh, some, some might say to us, well, you know, show me where in Scripture, usually referring to the New Testament, show me where in Scripture uh, is the teaching and the command of God for parents to present their children for baptism. But the answer is, well, show me where in Scripture does God teach that we should not? There doesn't need to be an explicit command to baptize the children of God's people because the command comes by way of the force of the full teaching of God's word. And in the same way, do we, do we need a statement that says, go to church, uh, be a part of the communion of the saints? The whole of scripture makes it clear that God has a people Yes, his people are made up of individuals with a personal faith in Christ. Yes, his people are, 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 are those who believe personally in Christ. We're not asking them to recite the Apostles' Creed together in unison with the rest of the church, although it's worth noting that the Apostles' Creed itself is written and confessed in first-person singular. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. But there it is. There it is by way of of a personal confession of faith, moving from personal faith to the communion of the saints. Can it be any more clear from Paul's greetings that he is part of the communion of saints and is addressing others who are part of the communion of saints? 
In verse 5, he writes, Greet my beloved Eponidas. In verse 7, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow uh, prisoners. In verse 8, Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. In verse 9, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Uh, And yet Paul also mentions several families uh, as he gives his greetings. In verse 10, the family of Aristobulus. In verse 11, the family of Narcissus. So so understand, the, the point is not that the church is a commune, which is to say the church is not a place where families don't continue to exist and operate. Your children are your children and not mine, and I'm thankful for that when you take them home at the end of of each Lord's Day. Hopefully not to offend. Most parents will say, uh, uh, no, I I understand. (laughs) But, But even it says this in verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Does that mean Rufus and Paul were biological brothers no just means that paul has experienced he's experienced the communion of the saints and the family of god so we get both things we hear we hear the enduring plan of god for families for parents to be raising their children and yet and yet for individuals and families to come together as the family of God in Christ. Here's a point uh, for me to say something that I hope will not offend, but parents, if your children do not uh, call you by your first name, why are they allowed to call other adults in the church by their first name? In my opinion, and I I think that I too have the Holy Spirit, That's Paul's way of saying, hear me out on this. Might I actually uh, be saying something from God here? In my opinion, children should say Mr. and Mrs. or doctor when that's appropriate. And the reason that children should say Mr. and Mrs. is exactly because we are a family. You have your family, but membership in the church means that you have brought your family into the full family of God. And the further reason is that the church, the communion of the saints, affords the benefit of more than just parents being a blessing to their children. Yes, I, I should say our children. They, they are your children, but they are our children too. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And he clearly was not saying, turn your children over to me that I might replace you as, 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 uh, as, as their parent. Instead, our Lord was calling upon families to be families and, and parents to be parents, but to present their children to him for his blessing and to bring them into the communion of the saints. And that brings us to the second point, the call for the holy kiss. Some of you have been waiting for this. Uh, what, what do we make of verse 16? <clears throat> uh, we have been taking Paul very literally up to this point. 
so shall we continue to do so with verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I think the answer comes with the very next statement. I think that uh, there actually should be a semicolon between the word kiss. So to read the instruction in this way, greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches in Christ greet you. In other words, the point is not that we physically kiss each other, but again, that we recognize that the church truly is one family in Christ. It doesn't cancel the family, the parents and and children, in that very special covenantal relationship, the household structure even of society itself, which is falling apart. But it does call us to exist together, to live together, to work together as the church. Some will say that this is a cultural thing, and I, I don't disagree uh, with that any too strongly. Uh, cult, uh, uh, cultures other than ours are far more open to kissing, uh, usually on the cheek, but even sometimes on the lips. But do we need to go there in order to be faithful to this command from God in His Word? My answer is no. We don't need to start a whole kissing thing. Aren't you relieved? Uh, In fact, given our culture, better that we not. But neither should we dismiss this command. The call to greet one another with a holy kiss is clearly the call to be in the church, to be a member of the church, to be in close relationship with brothers and sisters in the church. We know this from our children, do we not? Especially as they get older, that bad company corrupts good character. That who you spend time with is important. But again, it it has to start with your personal faith in Christ, the thing that each of us should want to protect. And the thing that we should want to perpetuate is is our personal faith in Christ. So the call is to be in closest relationship, in intimate fellowship with others who share your faith. Some of you young people are likely to come into relationship with others, whether it's at school or uh, where you work or within your family. You have a relationship with those who do not share your faith in Jesus Christ. The point here, the call of, of Christ himself, even, is, first of all, to kiss him. Psalm 2 even says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. The point is, uh, is that for now, Christ is the Savior. The day will come, I hope, I hope you believe it. The day will come when Christ will come as judge and will fill the earth with dead bodies. That's Psalm 110 and the book of Revelation. But for now, Christ is the Savior, and, and, and is He not your Savior? And if He is your Savior, then you must kiss Him. You must love Him above all else. 
And where can you love Christ the most and the best within the church? You need to be gathered with those who who share your love for Christ. And not only with those who share your love, but with those who will encourage you in your love for Christ. Someone might say, especially as they get older, ah, church is is boring. Uh, What do I want with the church? Except maybe to keep up appearances and to make my parents happy. But we want you to come to see that the church is where you kiss Christ. The church is where you come to help others and to receive the help of others for living out a faith that in the end will land you in heaven and not in hell. That's what we're up against. The endurance of faith and even faith unto heaven in that last great day when Christ will come to judge the earth. And so it makes sense that we end with this last point, the call to watch out. Watch out, says Paul. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Is this not a call to keep company with those who will be a friend to your faith? Watch out. Avoid them is the call of God's word. It's, is it, we might ask, is that too restrictive? Is, is this too exclusive? Not if, in, not if indeed true faith is what we're seeking to protect and perpetuate. When you come here to church, you are withdrawing from the world. You are separating yourself, even physically, from the world. And you really ought to notice who is not here. Come to church. Who's here this morning? We should notice who's not here and not the person who's homesick, but rather that there are many relationships that we have in our lives and those people are not here and maybe they're not here because we've not invited them enough to be here but until they come here in true faith then as they are not here and even as we are here then we must watch out we must wake up we must Watch out, we must beware, choose your word of caution. It's the consistent call of God's word. Not to be mean toward those who do not believe, but to be honest about the difference between faith and unbelief and the danger that it is to faith when we are not in the church. Yesterday, your elders had their regular December meeting, and Josh uh, Reshi Esquire, that means he's a lawyer, uh, Josh uh, led session devotions and focused us on uh, Ephesians uh, 2.12, where God's Word calls us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Isn't that remarkable? Work out 
your own salvation. Again, an emphasis on a personal faith in Jesus Christ. But what of this fear and trembling? How much fear and trembling is found in your heart and within your faith? Whenever we gather to worship, it should be with fear and trembling. Whenever we consider our relationship to the world, it should be with fear and trembling. And even as we kiss the sun, we must do so watching out because the flesh is altogether too much with us. But our comfort is this, that it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Point is not that we are afraid of God and and flee from him. After all, we're coming to him when we come to church. He is our Savior God. He is our gracious God. He's even our Father in heaven. But He is still holy. And we are still sinners. And we are always lacking strength of faith. We, we need the church. I know I'm the pastor and anyone might, might just try to say, well, he's just protecting his job in the church. But that's not the teaching of God's Word. The teaching of God's word is that we need to be in the church. We need the benefits that Christ Christ provides us only as we are in the church. We need the communion of saints. And we need to be here kissing the sun, as well as loving each other, even as we watch out. I think of being in, uh, in the football stands or, uh, or in the bleachers of a baseball game and, uh, and hearing somebody yell, watch out! What do you do? You duck. You take cover. And the reason is because you're in a place where you understand the danger. You understand what watch out means doesn't need to be said to you, watch out, there's a baseball heading towards your head. All you need to hear is, watch out. Well, so it is here. All the apostle would have to say is, watch out. And we ought to know what he's saying. And yet he does say more. He points out that there are those who would teach false doctrine. There are those who do not serve Christ, but are only in it for their own good. There are those who by smooth talk and flattery, writes Paul, would deceive the hearts of the naive. So greetings in the church must start with, hello, my friend. But by gathering with the church, by being an intimate member of the church, we must also say, hello, my enemy. Not to the church, but to the world around us that would lead us astray. This is the reality of the Christian life. We can deny it, but we do so to our own peril. Amen. Let's pray. Grant us, O God, to see that here in the church is where you are so powerfully at work. 
by your Spirit and through your Word and in the sacraments. We thank you that here we have protection. Here we have the opportunity to be strengthened in our faith. Here we have opportunity to persevere and to conquer in the end. Lord, indeed, help us to value the church, help us to love the saints, help us to watch out for the world around us. Grant us this wisdom, this knowledge, and this conviction. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.